You're listening to Life, Death and Sport, the podcast that reveals sports rarely told stories of heartbreak, healing and hope, shining a light on the real and raw issues that are so often kept in the dark. Hosted by Robbie Cornthwaite. Today's guest on Life, Death and Sport is the first female athlete to feature on the show. Melissa Barbieri is one of Australia's most decorated footballers. A goalkeeper, she represented the Matildas on 86 occasions, playing at four FIFA World Cups and the Athens Olympics. Melissa is incredibly open and honest as we discuss her heartbreaking journey trying to fall pregnant. Melissa also shares her thoughts on issues female athletes have to deal with, including body issues and menstrual cycles. Melissa Barbieri, thank you very much for joining me. How's everything going? Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure, firstly. Um, yeah, everything's going great. Thank you. We just uh, won the double in the W League, so uh, riding high at the moment. Yeah, as you mentioned, um, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, it must have been nice for you for you guys to you girls to be able to finish off your season and uh, and get that championship that you you so much deserved. Well, yeah, just good timing, I guess. By the end of it, we were able to play behind closed doors with a few friends and family there, and um, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a real relief uh, to, to get it in. I mean, uh, we all we all didn't know what was about to happen, so we were kind of just hoping uh, for the best, that it would just be behind closed doors and, and that was it. But then, you know, we've gone into lockdown. So in hindsight, very, very lucky and grateful. Indeed. I mean, it's never uh, nice to reveal someone's age, but you're not getting any younger. Do you know how much longer you... You want to continue to pull the, pull the boots on. I know you were uh, obviously in a coaching role as well, but um, can you see yourself playing much longer? I know you've retired before as well. Um, yeah, I, re- I retired from international uh, football uh, after the last uh, my my last World Cup in 2015. But then I did a I had a knee injury, so everyone kind of thought I'd retired fully from um, from football. But I just was having. Uh, my rehab time, uh, doing my ACL and all that. So um, I I want to play until the body says no or my coaches say no. I mean, um, I can't see myself uh, leaving Melbourne City. So whatever role they want me in, um, I'll pursue um, as long as – and I I just love it so much and I'm so grateful for everything uh, that I'm given on the daily. Um, I couldn't see myself pulling the pin on my my own. but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you have to weigh up all the decisions. And playing for me at the moment is um, still very enjoyable and probably the fittest and strongest I've ever been. So well, that's that's awesome. Ride to, the wave. Yeah, well, that's awesome to hear. Obviously, um, you know, I gave up the game a long time ago, but. You know, we could speak about your career at length. You've you've achieved so much. Um, you know, dual Olympics and and multiple World Cups. But today we want to talk about some of the things that go on off the field, in particular, um, a few issues and, and problems and, and things you've had to deal with over the last few few years in particular. But I was wondering if we could maybe just talk a little bit about the dynamics uh, in women's sport, in particular in, in the locker room. I mean, obviously something that female athletes have to deal with, um, which men don't, is is the issue of pregnancy and, and things in that space. Um, is it something that's really spoken about much uh, in a dressing room? Do the, do the girls sort of speak about the fact, uh, you know, being a professional athlete, they can't get pregnant or, or they're worried they may fall pregnant? Are these issues sort of discussed openly? 
Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I'm sure there's always uh, the closer-knit groups that they might have that uh, one-on-one conversation, you know, if they're looking to, if they've got that feeling. Um, you know, there comes a time where you start thinking more about that stuff. Um, I mean, I know for me, as soon as I was in a, in a stable relationship and and getting married and things, those those conversations started to happen more. And I, you always based it around how comfortable you were in, in your position uh, as a field player or, or player and then um, kind of go with the motions in sort of those things, but certainly not in the locker room. I don't think it was an openly discussed uh, thing. I mean, I'm trying to change that taboo where uh, we don't speak about, you know, our our, our periods and yep. syncing calendars and all those sorts of things because we've had to change our mindset around those things because it does matter. Uh, yep. And the more research that is done into female athletes, um, all those do, things do come into play. Now, we kind of don't think about it because a lot of, of our players are on, um, you know, pills or um, the rod or, or things like that to, yep. to help us not get our period uh, whilst we're playing. So, you know, just by not luck, but um, because of that, we, we can't get pregnant uh, a lot of the time. And then, as you say, there might be an accidental pregnancy because um, you're on the pill so much. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, it's, it's always banter when we talk about it. It's yeah. never serious serious conversations um you mentioned it's something that maybe you want to be able to speak about more openly or, or for for you know women female athletes to be able to speak about more openly have you seen a change from when you first started playing to now is it discussed more than then or is it still sort of not mentioned at all it um no it has changed i will say that it has changed but it's also changed uh because our players are branching out all over the world so if you think if I think back to when I I first began and um, the kids coming through the kids coming through don't even get changed fully in the locker room they might go to the toilet they're ashamed of their bodies and I think it's a whole collective when you think of um, what's been happening in the change rooms I mean I, I mean I was one of the first players to get fully naked in the showers in front of other girls when other girls were still in their you know tops and shorts in the showers having a shower after game before we got on a plane many of them wouldn't even have showers and then we had to make it a rule that you can't get on the plane stinky and you can't not have a shower after game it's just not healthy um so that mindset started to change and then you know once the girls started playing overseas they saw what would happen overseas mm. and you would be ridiculed in in a change room in Europe if you didn't get fully changed and, and have a shower and yep. and act normal like it's it's your body it's just everybody's different and i think if we had more of that sort of thing happening in our change rooms we'd all have better body image because Everyone has different shapes and sizes, and you don't mm. feel like I'm out. I'm I'm different to everyone yep. because you've never actually seen anyone else's. So you're you're you're, you're always um, covering up because you you feel embarrassed. And, um, you know we're all the same. We're all different. It's just you know just just the way life is. So yeah, I mean obviously um, these issues. I mean, do you think these issues have stemmed from a society sort of point of view? Yeah, and I think. 
we've always hidden periods. We've always hidden, look, I, I'm not feeling up to scratch today because I've got my period. And then yep. it's just an excuse. Yep. You know, you're, you're, you're saying that because an excuse. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people use illness to fake things. Yep. Um, but, you know, you know, the more that I think about it, every time I hid period pain as being unwell, um, I was, you know, just, I, I was, redu- I'm, I'm, I was adding to the stigma of it. Yeah. You know, when, when my coach asked me, what's up, bubs today? You don't look yourself. Well, I've got a heavy menstrual flow. I say now yeah. instead of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I was up late. And um, then you get in trouble for being up late when it's not my fault that I have this thing happening. It's, it's part of nature. Mm-hmm. And and it, and I still and I also do it with my daughter as well. I don't hide anything. Um, I tell her everything that she needs to know so that she's not shocked by it all. Because I, I remember being extremely shocked and upset when I when I first got my period and things. So it, it, it's the whole destigmatizing it um, as as a as a society really. And I think we're doing great. We're we're getting there, but uh, more needs to be done. Um, on the ground, let's say. Yeah. I mean, media and stuff are starting to do a lot more. Companies are starting not to shy away from the fact, like stopping having blue blood in ads is yep. a massive thing. Like, you know, make it red like it would be normally or not show it at all, like whatever. But, um, you know, just destigmatizing it as a society. Yeah, I mean, we hear, I mean, over recent times about men being more open and men speaking up when they're struggling it sounds as as though it's is just as much an issue in in female sport as well that maybe the girls need to be a little bit more open and, and start speaking about some of these issues if if not openly but uh, at least you know t- to one another within the within the squad yeah and and just not shying away and don't let because we've got, still got a lot of male coaches yep. um you know and don't let their shame stop you from voicing what's actually wrong. And I think also because we are playing into our older years because we can, because more financial gains are happening, mm-hmm. um, we're older, we're stronger, we've got a different mindset. So when I speak about, um, you know, my cycle in front of my male coach and other girls hear me and giggle and like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just said that to him. And I'm like, Why? Why yeah. do you have a problem with that? Yeah. Like, it's just natural. So, yeah, it's it's about putting a foot forward and, and showing the kids that it's okay and then hopefully it just gets better gene- generically, really. I mean, just going back to the the pregnancy side of things, when you, when you, I mean, you've got a daughter now, Holly, how old is she, seven? Seven, yes. Yeah, when, when you fell pregnant with, with Holly was... Was that a big deal for you to go and tell your coach or to tell your your side that um you know I'm pregnant I'm going to be missing a, a whole chunk of football? Yeah, it was. I mean, I found out quite late in the piece because my body's tricky like that. Um, you know, I had I had certain signs, but other signs were pointing in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um. So when I came back to it, like when I actually got a female doctor and she said, "Have have you checked if you're pregnant?" and I was like, "Oh." No, (laughs) but, and then she's like, well, give that a go first. And, um, I checked it in, in the laboratory there at the doctor's office and came back at at 11 weeks when she sent me for the scan. Um, so I was, I was, I had already played two internationals pregnant. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, when it came down to it, that one more week until I I had to tell people because the 12 weeks, so I had a very limited amount of time yeah. to get okay or, or not okay. But the first thing in my mind was, I'm going to lose my contract. Yeah. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? Um, and at that stage, I had Tommy Samani, and and he and he still gave me a contract, mm-hmm. um, even though I was pregnant. So, which he didn't have to do. No, he didn't, I um, suppose. But you, it's something that you probably expect now, and um, the fact that maternity leave is obviously something that's coming into a lot of um, female sports, in particular cricket. I think as Cricket Australia just. Uh, recently made a, a big announcement in, in that space. Um, I mean, we'll get back to to Holly a little bit later because little did you know that, that was Holly was sort of a, a miracle baby, I suppose, um, when you look at some of the things that have happened in, in more recent times. But I want to just speak about the time when you when you went to Adelaide United um, and you were playing yeah. for United in the, in the W League. I certainly didn't realize this at the time. It's only something I sort of recently discovered when I was reading a few things about you. And, you know, for you to come across and, and to play uh, here in Adelaide, you had to to leave your husband, Jeff, behind because he had a stable job uh, in Melbourne. And it's not something I ever really thought about for female athletes. The fact that, um, you know, you're not going overseas or, or elsewhere to make millions of dollars um, and your husband's just going to pack up and, and move with you, unlike a lot of male yeah. athletes. So you basically came to Adelaide for the first season with your daughter and and left your husband, Jeff, back in, in Melbourne. What was that like? Um, I mean, when I, when I first tried to find a team, I couldn't even find one. So when Adelaide um, and Ross Aloisi gave me that opportunity, I was extremely grateful. When I went to my husband and he said, you know what, if this is what you want to do, then I'll support you wholeheartedly. Um, the next thing was, how are we going to do it? And lucky enough, I have um, in-laws um, that live in Adelaide, so my rent was substantially reduced. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, how am I going to feed myself, my child, afford nappies, pay for my mum to come over when she needed to help babysit when I was on away trips, um, all those sorts of to, to come into my mind. And so when I asked Adelaide for what sort of remuneration they could they could give me, they could only cover my very small rent. Yep. Uh, so the rest the rest was upon me um, to come up with with whatever I needed. And I thought um, I, I'll, I'll do a budget and I'll see what I need. And, and I said to myself, bare minimum five grand. Um, uh, so for a, uh, what period? Pay. What period of time was that for? Sorry, uh, four months. Yep. Bare minimum for yeah. If if I didn't have to pay the mortgage, um, if I didn't have to do this and that, and I had side income coming in from my network marketing, um, Isagenics, a caper on the side, so I had a bit of um, trickle work in there. Yep. Um, so I just the the. The enormity of how much money I needed um, was the, the critical factor, and, and I came up with the idea to, to fundraise. Yep. Um, and I basically fundraised five grand, and then I ended up making nine because I had so much help from A League players. Yep. Um, and Socceroos all across the world sending me their gear to, to auction off. 
Um, is 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 this fundraising it, that you've done? Is that when you decided to to auction off your your Matilda's memorabilia? Yeah, yeah. What were some I, of the I, items I, that you, that you put up? All my shirts. Yep. My gloves. Um. Everything that I owned that wasn't <laughs> in a frame on my wall. Yeah. yeah. Um. So not much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so not much left, I should say. Um, I, I kept my cap. Yep. Um, but everything else, everything else, I sold, and then plus all the stuff that the A League guys got me. I got, I got nine grand. I ended up only keeping five because that's what I said I needed, and yeah. I gave uh, the rest to my teammates. No, oh, that's wonderful. Um, how how does that decision sit with you now when you look back and, uh, I mean, I've got a whole a whole wardrobe, a whole garage full of shirts. So it's it's not like they're all special, but how does that decision to, to move everything on sit with you now looking back? Uh, I feel um, I feel like if my daughter ends up liking football, I'm in trouble because <laughs> she'll start asking questions about where my gear is or, yeah. you know, mummy, you know, where's all your stuff? Or when you become a teenager and it's cool to whip out your, you know, your dad's, <laughs> old tracksuit from Australia, you yeah. know, my mum's tracksuit. It might, it might be a disappointment. Um, mm. Yeah, it's probably the worst part is is having a child that I can't hand those things down to. But yeah. you know, I think there's bigger things in life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, throughout, I mean, I've spent months away from my wife as well, three, four months at a time when I was overseas, and she was coming back and forth to Australia, but. How was that uh, for your relationship? Did it make you stronger with you between you and Jeff, or did it put a strain on things? Oh, it's always a strain, but you know, having a wife that barely makes an income because she loves football and plays for Australia, <laughs> it's a it's kind of like a, a toss up. Can you be really angry at her if she's playing for a country and going to Olympics and World Cups? Yeah, um, yeah, it, it it puts a strain on it because it's you know you need money to live, but um. At the end of the day, every time we went through a stage, we we came through it. So, uh, when you think back, you think, would we be here if we weren't married? Would we be here if we didn't have a child? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. But we choose each other uh, yeah. when 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 times get tough. And I think that's that's the biggest takeaway. The following season, you stayed in Adelaide, and and this time the decision was made to leave Holly at home with Jeff. Um, that must have been yeah. incredibly difficult for you. Massive, um, massive decision in, in, in the first sentence um, because my mum would then have to take the load. Jeff was still working daily and um, all that stuff. And, Thank God and for then, mums, eh? Hey? Thank God for mums. Yes, thank God for mums, exactly. <laughs> so she, she ended up, you know, living in my, in my house five days a week. Um, and then I'd, I'd come home two days a week, try and get some holy time in. Mm. Uh, I'd miss a, a recovery session, um, sometimes the first session back if Ross was generous. Yeah. Barely was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. But when when it came time to, to make the national team, it, it put me in good stead for the long periods that I'd spend without holy in that six months moving forward. So it was a good kind of taste it to what I needed to do the, the following year pre-World Cup. How was, um, I mean, mentally, what 
what was that like for you at that stage? I mean, speaking from my own experiences, again, when you spend a lot of time on your own and you've got so much time to think, it can be quite a difficult time. Did did you find it freeing or was it a struggle for you mentally? Um, I think I just put game mode on every day. Yep. What do I need to do? What can I control? This is what I can control. This is what I worry about. Is my daughter in perfectly capable hands? Yes. Yep. Is she safe? Yes. Um, does she miss me? Probably, but probably not because she's at a good age, um, you know, where time doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she loved Nonna. Um, my husband was there all the time. So as long as she was happy, um, I was happy and I just did what I had to do to, to make things work. Well, it's- Probably a, a year after that, 2015, um, you and your husband, Jeff, decided to start trying for a, a second child. And it was around the, the same time you were selected for the World Cup in Canada in 2015. Yeah, initially, we'd already been trying for six months, yeah. For six months. Initially, when you know when you fell pregnant with Holly and, and you didn't have any sort of trouble, did you think it was going to be quite a quick process? Yeah, because Holly... We we got pregnant with Holly like first go. Yeah. So when it started to take a little bit longer, I was like, "Oh, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's delve in a little bit deeper and see what's what's the matter. What can we do to sort of?" And then I found out that you know most women that have babies need to get a, a bit of a clean out to to help remove a lot of the leftover junk that yep. that happens during pregnancy so and it's just about clearing things out and w- when I came back from that they they'd found that one of my tubes um had been had been destroyed either in the pregnancy um after the pregnancy did you have an ectopic pre- pregnancy um and you lost the baby not really sure because there were a few months there where I was in a lot a lot of pain mm-hmm. um but I just thought it was normal coming off the pill or yep. um you know all that sort of stuff so how, how long how I long just, did you how long were you trying before you decided that you were going to investigate and see what the what was happening um after the world cup so when i got back from there i thought maybe the pressure of the world cup or yeah. training all the time or just not having the right calendar <laughs> happening because i was always away training um and probably 8 to 9 months yeah. Because um, they were saying, oh, your age might have something to do with it. Somebody said that to me and I was like, okay, well, you know, better to be safe than sorry. Just go check it out. So I went to the the OBGYN and mm-hmm. he he asked, you know, all these questions and he goes, well, just we'll give you a flush out and see after um, you if had, that helps. Yeah. After you, after you had that um, flush out in your words, um, yeah. what, what was their sort of message from there? Did they say it's going to be quite difficult for you to get pregnant naturally to conceive or, um, you know, you need to start looking at other avenues. Yeah, because they took a tube. Mm-hmm. The OBGYN was like, no, nah, no, nah, you'll be fine. You'll yep. be fine. Like, and I'm like, oh, so you have to wait every second month. You have to check which side the, <laughs> the egg's coming from. So mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of um, anatomy work to, to try and figure <laughs> out what was happening. And they're like, no, no, no. The fallopian tube travels from one side to the other, and I had a friend that had one 
tube and she got pregnant pretty easily. So yep. Yep. I was still uh, under the impression that natural was easily the the way to go. And so I came off all the pills and, and everything, but unfortunately uh, endometriosis started to, to creep in because I had come off the pill and, and my doses of... Um, you know, estrogen weren't, weren't working out in my favor. Now, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but endometriosis is basically a, a tissue uh, that grows over your ovaries and, and it can grow over your bowel and things like that. And when it breaks down, it can become trapped and, and that can restrict your ability to, to fall pregnant. Is that is that basically correct? Yeah, it, it's it's basically a heart attack for your, like your um, fallopian tubes and things like that. So, the the various pathways for your egg to travel if it's blocked up with endometriosis um it stops whatever um happening um but the the debilitating thing is that it grows everywhere Mm -hmm. so when you have your period um it's it's a massive pain because Wherever that endometriosis grows, your body treats it like the the part of the the uterus that sheds every month. Okay. So and even though it can't shed, it's it's like debilitating pain all throughout your 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 stomach region. So how much and bowel how, and wherever it is. How how much effect was this having on your your everyday life, let alone your football? Massive massive for me because um i didn't know <laughs> yeah you know like I, I i had endometriosis as a 16 year old yeah um i thought you get it they take it out and then you're right to go again mm-hmm. um and you know it wasn't until after the tube removal and countless months of trying more so probably up to around two or three years i just started to think you know what's going on here yeah um and then in the third year i said well let's try um ivf mm-hmm. um because obviously it's um it's not working out so we, we we delved into you know it's expensive yeah but if we, if we fall pregnant from it then you know it, it'll be all, all be worth it at this stage you started yeah. to take um some medication for the IVF process to to increase your your egg production but again that that comes with its own side effects and unfortunately for you those side effects were were quite severe um you suffered from a bout of gallbladder attacks and ended up in an ambulance to hospital on seven different occasions yeah can you just describe maybe the first time first of all when that happened Obviously, you would have had no idea what was going on. What did it feel like, and and how scared were you? I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. Um. Actually, I thought I like I said to myself, I can't be having a heart attack because I'm an elite athlete. Yeah. And yeah. just calm down. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's anxiety. Mm. Maybe I'm mm. having a panic attack. I don't know what those things feel like, and a lot of people describe it as. I felt you feel like someone's sitting on your chest and that's what I felt like. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I turned on the light, my husband was in bed and I said, babe, like, I'm in a lot of pain. Can you help me? And he looked at me and he goes, I'm calling an ambulance. 
Yeah. And yeah. Um, the colour of me apparently just shook him to the bone. Um, and then I just started heaving and vomiting everywhere and absolute distraught. And then, you know, the ambulance paramedics turned up and they said, look, I think your heart is okay. Mm. It mm. might be gallbladder, gallstones. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, that's a good outcome. <laughs> At least it's not a heart attack. And then when they started saying, you know, you, you can't have it operated on because it's it's not acute, it's not inflamed, it's not infected. Yeah. Um, you go home, here's some pain meds, you go home. Mm. Uh, then started the six months of having gallbladder attacks um, you Thru- know, once a month. Yeah, I mean, throughout that, that time of having those attacks, were they ever sort of in a public place? Were they always at home when you were resting or, you know, was there, is there an experience throughout that time that really stands out? Because I'm sure those six months would have been um, horrendous for you to deal with. Well, one of them, the, the scariest was when I was home alone with my daughter. Yeah. Um, Jeff was in Sydney and I had to call my mum who lives an hour away um, and I peaked really quickly. So usually you can take medicine and it stops it from happening. Yep. Um, but if the medicine doesn't stay down, you're, you're, you're gonna. So I had to call the ambulance and then knowing that my daughter was there without anyone to look after, it was really distressing me. Mm. Um, but I was able to, to call one of my mother's group friends and she came just as the ambulance arrived um, to help me look after um, Holly, the other one was the most embarrassing was when we were away to Perth, in Perth, and I started getting the feeling of an attack on the bus on the way to the game. Mm. Um, and little did I know at that time that if you have codeine, it makes it worse. So when I asked for panadine fort to think, oh, it'll stem the pain for a bit yep. and get over the game, it actually spiked it really yeah. massively. Um, um, so I, I was out the front of uh, HB whatever stadium <laughs> in Perth um, asking for an ambulance. At, during this time, I mean, did you did you hide all this from the club? Were the medical staff fully aware? Did everyone no, know what was happening? No, oh, yeah. Everyone, everyone was fully aware. Um, I, I, I thought I could, you know, control everything cause, because you're an elite athlete. You yeah. eat well. But some things just set it off. Like I had a, a plain cheese wrap at, at pre-match uh, and apparently it was a type of cheese with a high fat content, which mm. usually wouldn't happen because we're a sporting team. Yep. Um, and yeah, and, and it set me off in the wrong direction. So everyone was massive. My, my team manager dumped the team, came with me to, to, um, to the hospital, spent the entire you know, emergency room and then the... Pl- the girls had to play without a keeper on the bench. Um, and then, you know, the times that, I, again, in, in the club, everyone was fantastic. I mean, Rado Vitasic drove me home. Yeah. Uh, with, with strength and conditioning coach behind us driving his car so that he could drop me off in my car back home and Rado get in the car with the strength and conditioning coach and, <laughs> and go back to the club. I mean, as all this is going on, um, did you sort of maternal instincts to have a, a second child start to wane did you start thinking you know all this is not worth it or you still were determined to push forward uh i was just de- yeah i was determined it was only until i started to getting 
um, really bad pain when every morning I thought, oh, this is not right. Usually I only get period pain when I get my period. Yep. Now I'm starting to get period pain every time I wake up, every time I need to do a bowel movement, every time. And I'm just like, oh, I've got to go back to the gynecologist here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they gave me a scan and found that I had a cyst on my ovary um, and that it was quite large, 13 centimetres. Uh, it was encroaching on my bowel and it was so difficult to look at on the scan that the gyno says, okay, I'll have to send you to a, a cancer surgeon specialist. How many more, so, how many more punches to the, to the gut could you take? I mean, it's <laughs> three, this, I mean, since you first started trying in 2015, it's been what now three or four years and still you yeah. seem no closer. The, once you went and saw that the cancer sort of surgeon was the, an operation, the only option. Yeah, well, they had to remove the cyst, and then they said, "Look, we'll save what we can save." Yeah. Um, and then we will only know once we go in there. And the cancer surgeon said I was the hardest operation for that day. I had to spend two nights in hospital because he came so close to my bowel well. that he thought if he perforated my bowel, because not only had the cyst. Um, gone around my ovary and it attached itself to my bowel as well. And then it had destroyed my fallopian tube, my one leftover fallopian tube. So when I came out of that and he said, look, you've got no fallopian tubes left, (laughs) Um, but you've got two working ovaries, I I was still thankful and grateful because I still had that and I could still go down IVF path. But then when everybody was saying, yeah, I tried IVF, it never worked, but then I got pregnant naturally, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen for me. Yeah, I mean, that sort of narrowed you know your... Um... People, pe- yeah, people try and make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So again, you decided to push on. With this operation, sorry, and, and everything else that had gone on, how much football did you miss? I mean, the season was only a short season in Australia. Um, were you missing a lot of football and a lot of training? No, I... I like my body is phenomenal. I really think it's I'm superwoman sometimes. Um, every time I had, so I had the gallbladder surgery, yeah, and then I had to have two weeks off for that, and then uh, I had two weeks off for the ovarian cyst surgery. So all in all, I probably only missed two or three games in the NPL season. That's incredible. Um... You, uh, you 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 describe yourself as superwoman now. I can certainly agree with that. Um, so now that we know there's no fallopian tubes, both of your fallopian tubes have been been removed. One destroyed, sorry, one removed. IVF being the only option. You did manage to end up with a, a fertilized egg. Is that correct? Yeah. So we did. We had the IVF, um, but that was prior to. To the surgery, okay. um, we had one one fertilized egg survive, but um, then we were told they didn't make the genetic testing. Um, at the end of the day, that was a, that was a hard one to take. Yeah, how, I mean, obviously, I've I've lost a child with with my wife while I was overseas. I mean, how heartbreaking was that to hear that it was unsuccessful? I mean, you know, it's not it's not like we. I mean, it's heartbreak. Mm. Um, 
and you know my my husband was like oh you know it's good that we know now so we don't lose the child and I'm like yeah. I still lost a child yeah like, yeah still I don't I don't know if you can classify the pain yeah um each you, you can't you can't classify you know or rate it or compare yeah, yeah. I mean this is the this is the reason I sort of thought of doing this podcast was to basically whatever your experience is is your experience and however you feel is is fine it's it's not a competition about comparing exactly. uh, one thing to another it's it's okay to feel however you want to feel yeah exactly and i mean that's why and and that's why when people ask me uh or or say off the cuff stuff oh so when you're having a second well yeah. i can't because i don't have tubes and i've lost i lost the fertilized egg that I was going to implant. So yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. Don't ask stupid questions if you don't want the truth. And, yeah. and I think the more, I, the more I speak truthfully and not hide, um, you know, I think the better it is for everyone because I didn't know a lot of my friends had gone through IVF. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they'd have miscarriages. I didn't know that, you know, those things had happened to them. And I, yeah. I would have been a better friend if I had a known. So I can't take that opportunity away for people to be better <laughs> yep. and, and know, we'll uh, you know, that's not the right thing to do or that's not the right thing to, or thing to ask. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not all, you know, sunflowers and roses. Exactly right. You had your, your husband there, Jeff. It Was there another person you lent on quite strongly? Was there a player or someone uh, a close family friend that was sort of someone you spoke to regularly about this at all, or was it something you sort of hid away? No, I definitely hid it away. Um, my the the problem is with my family. I'm very if if my family wants to support me, they kind of tell me like the truth that they see, yep. and I don't begrudge them their truth, but. Where, like my mum was really fantastic with everything that I needed to do for Holly, but when it came to IVF, it was like, this is God telling you that you shouldn't have a child. Yeah. Those are the things that really, really hurt. So I kind of kept it to myself because I got bitten. Because mm-hmm. um, when I mentioned IVF, um, you know, to her, not what I expected in, yeah. in the league. So it was it was tough. But then I thought, you know, I, I'll just do it privately and I'll lean on Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really good. Like he can really be... Look, this is not working. Look, look what it's done to your body. Mm-hmm. Look at what's done to you know mental. You know, it's not about the money. It's about what you've been through. Do we really want to do this again? I mean, having a child is great, but you know, maybe we can give Holly the best of everything mm-hmm. because we, you know, we can't have any more. Yeah. Um, you mentioned so money. He, he was he was much better. You mentioned money. I mean, I don't know if you feel comfortable saying, but. The fact that in 2015 you had to, sorry, 14, you had to sell basically all your memorabilia to fund your football. How how much has this cost you and Jeff over the last few years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. A lot. I mean, well, I haven't even done the budgeting. <laughs> you don't you want to? Just do... No, I don't, I don't actually because... You know, that's a benefit of I when I always chose football and we always did things separately. He he get he got to continue to grow. So 
he never came to watch me at my World Cups or Olympics or all that. He kept climbing his ladder. Yeah. So at the end of it all, uh, like the last few years, we money wasn't a real problem for us. Yeah. Um, because he he got to scale that ladder uh, and become a success in in his own right um, in his field. Mm-hmm. So we never had to really budget, but it was just the toll that it was on our body. And I think probably you know six six figures if you if you look back on it all yep. with um, missed opportunities and <laughs> and whatnot. I mean, we sit here now in, in 20, 25 years after you first started um, trying to conceive. Has a decision been made now whether it's it's time to, to pull the pin or you're still keen to continue on? I mean, I think I've... I, I don't know if I could handle IVF again. Um, I mean, the least I'll do if I can is freeze some eggs. Yep. Because yep. um, you don't know what can happen in terms of surrogacy or anything like that. But then also fostering mm-hmm. is on my mind because my maternal instincts have not gone. Like I can't switch them off. Yep. Um, so maybe I, it's, it's a sign to, to work through other avenues. I mean, I'm not sure about adopting, but I think I'm too old to adopt apparently. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. I heard that somewhere, and I'm like, oh, that scared me off a bit. I don't want to delve in if I, if I can't. If I can't, you've had enough it. heartbreak. Um, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, like if I if I get a sense of, oh, this can't happen, then I'm like, hmm. But if you know, I hear adverts for fostering all the time. Hmm. Um, you know, what 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 happens then? And I think I think that will come forward when I finish playing, and I think that's also a reason why I continue to play because I don't want to think about that yet. Yeah, um, I don't want it to become the overriding thing in my mind. Definitely. Uh, when you look back at everything you've experienced and everything you've been through, what what is what has it sort of taught you, and how do you look at your daughter Holly now? Uh, do you look at her with more appreciation, or I mean, it's very difficult to do that when you have children because you. You love them so much, but how has this changed things for you? Uh, when someone announces that they're pregnant, it's like, that is a miracle, you know? Mm. <laughs> Don't take it for granted. Um, and, you know, I still cry yep. <laughs> every now and then. Um, but you just, um, you learn that the beauty of life is, in the hardship and that you know makes you a, a stronger person so you can't you can't say that the bad things should never happen because you don't know what you'd be without them yeah. um and you know i don't want to say i don't have it bad um because somebody has it worse but yeah. that's the truth and um i do have holly and it's like fantastic um miracle child yeah but we don't tell her that because she'll just you know she'll make, <laughs> she'll make life hard for us exactly. um, every time she wants the ipad she'll be like but i'm the miracle child. <laughs> kids are good at using that to uh to their effect i, I suppose exactly. i, I want to thank you for coming on and being so open and honest i'm sure this is going to help a lot of people out there 
is there a parting message for young girls or young footballers out there today that you want to leave us with? Um, yeah, don't don't put life on hold. Don't um, don't worry about your body, what it will be able to do when you come back, because it's a it's a it's an amazing machine. Um, what you, um, what can you you can produce if you want a baby? Um, if you don't, <laughs> like it's your decision. But don't put things on hold because you you don't know what if um, the the benefits of having a child far outweigh um, the challenges. So um, just do what you feel um, at the at that time, and then if it's not right, you change it until it is right um, for you. So um, just the way things are better now than what it was when I had Holly. Um, things that continue to change. So don't put your life on hold. Melissa Barbieri, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Life, Death and Sport. Unlike sport, in life, there is no playbook. And I want you to know that however you feel, it's okay. Thanks for listening to Life, Death and Sport. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming interviews and connect with Robbie Cornthwaite on social media. Links are in the show notes.